Okay, so we begin the Torah's uh, descriptions of the lives of the Ovos this evening with the Parsha of Lech Lecha. And Lech Lecha begins with Lech Lecha itself. And the Pasuk is well known, but uh, let us begin uh, by reading Vayom HaShem Al-Avram, the very uh, opening Pasuk. Lech Lecha, to go, go for yourself, go yourself. From your, your land, your birthplace, your father's house, and accompanying the instruction to go, are a number of blessings, a number of brachos, assurances that Hashem gives to Avram. And that's in Pasuk Beis. I will make you into a great nation. Vavarechacha, I will bless you, reading and translating as directly as we can. Vaagad l'shemecha, and I will make your name great. Vehiyeh baracha, you will be bracha. And Rashi, interestingly, <coughs> explains these series of brachos in two very different planes. They almost couldn't be more different from each other. The first, and it is fair to say this, the first is in the realm of Pshat. The second is in the realm of Drash. And what is Rashi's first explanation of these various blessings? Well, to summarize what Rashi uh, says, that when a person travels from one place to another, so that can impinge or diminish a number of things, perhaps his financial status, his reputation, his family, those three areas. And it is to this end that Hashem tells Avram, none of this will apply to you. You will be successful in all of these areas. means that you will uh, <coughs> have children. Is that you will be financially successful and Vagadla Shemecha, your reputation will expand and increase. Atkan Pshat. And then Rashi quotes a Dovar Acher. And this Dovar Acher is from uh, the Gemara in Maseches Psachim, and Dafkuf Yud Gimel. <coughs> and as I say, very different. Than the first. Dovar Acher says Rashi, the first blessing I'll make you into a great nation. Avraham. This thus we say Avraham, which we do. Where? In Shmonaisre. Okay. the second blessing, Thus we say, this is expressed by us saying, Eloke Yitzchak. Va'agad lo shemecha, and I will make your name great, Zesha omrim Eloke Yaakov. So these three blessings of Va'asecha lo goigodol, Va'avorechecha, Va'agad lo shemecha, translate to Eloke Avram, Eloke Yitzchak, Ve'eloke Yaakov. And interestingly, <coughs> there is one phrase left, Ve'heyei bracha, and it's also interesting that as much as we mention each of the others by name in the first bracha of in the end, it's just Magen Avraham. 
And that's because of this final phrase, in the words of the Gemara, we might think that one concludes with all of them as surely as we mentioned them all in the body of the blessing. Talmud Loma, you will be the bracha. And we are entitled to ask, having seen these two explanations of Rashi, what did Rashi see in the first explanation that made him feel that one should say more? What is not entirely satisfactory with the first Pshat explanation that gave Rashi recourse to this very overtly not Pshat explanation? We know Rashi's uh, approach, as we mentioned this many times, his own words. He will give us the Pshat where necessary, he will give us the drash. Why did Rashi feel it necessary? And this question, the, question, the why question of Rashi, which always um, uh, piques the curiosity of all Mephorshi Rashi and after them all Rashi learners. And this question is addressed by one of the classic later Mephorshi Rashi. We know Rashi has dozens, if not hundreds, of commentaries on him. <coughs> and one of the classics from the 1800s is a sefer called Be'er Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak Horowitz, and it's not, it's not of the light com- commentator variety. Uh, it's, he really gets down to business, but full of insight. And in fact, the current edition of Be'er Yitzchak, that, that was um, at least that's been around for recent decades, is thanks to uh, Rav Cooperman. That's how um, Uncle Rav Yudo Cooperman, who was approached by the original Mr. Feldheim, who said he had money to invest in a project, Whatever Rav Kuperman recommends, that's what it will be. And Rav Kuperman said, if the Sefer Be'er Yitzchak is not in print, it needs to be in print. And, 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 uh, and so it was. So the Be'er Yitzchak explains as follows. Rashi is keenly bothered, not by the first blessing or the second or the third, but by the concluding words, Veheye bracha, and you will be a blessing. Because it seems to be a direct repetition of what was stated earlier, va'avarechacha. Va'avarechacha means the second phrase Hashem says, I will bless you. So if I will bless you, then you'll be blessed. This concluding phrase, bracha, what does it add to say that you will be a blessing more than the fact that you will be blessed? And Rashi himself does address this, and Rashi says that you will be able to dispense blessings. So he does address this. But this already is just cause for Rashi to seek an entirely different plane of resolution. Namely, Veheye Bracha literally means you will be the blessing. Which means that now we're in the, the realm of, uh, of a blessing. And this now, working backwards, <coughs> has us relearning the entire Pasuk within the context of a blessing of Shema So the word Veheyei Bracha, and it's interesting to note, if we may, if we may be uh, precise in this regard, Rashi's second explanation of the whole thing is still part of his comment on the word Veheyei Bracha. In other words, he explained the first phrase, 
The second phrase, Vavarachacha, etc. Vehyebracha is the fourth phrase. And as a continuation of his comments on the fourth phrase, Vehyebracha, he gives us the whole davar acher. And maybe that is uh, support for what the Be'er Yitzhak is saying, that it really is the final phrase, Vehyebracha, that is the instigation of moving towards uh, a davar acher, an alternative way of looking at the looking at these psukim. The question remains, <laughs> how do you fit in the words to the explanation? In other words, the plot is understood. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll give you, you'll be financially successful, and, and I'll make your name great. I mean, you see a straight line between the words and the interpretation. But all of a sudden, we're saying, I will, uh, oh, Thus we say Elokei Avraham. What's one thing got to do with the other? Vavarachacha. Thus we say Elokei Yitzchak. Agad Shemecha. Thus we say Elokei Yaakov. How does how does one again lead, lead into the other? How is one a result of the uh, of these words? They can't just be units. And moreover, here we are saying it's a very special thing. That we say, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. It sounds like, unless this was fully sanctioned, no one else is really able to have this. The problem is, other people do. If you look throughout Nach, you will see there are other people also referred to in this way. Hashem is called Elokei David. And Elisha, when he's looking for... Uh, uh, where he refers to Hashem as Elokei Eliyahu, right? Elisha was a student of, El- of Eliyahu. So apparently, and they didn't get a Rashi, they didn't get some special message which, which allowed them to do this, which means the question as to whether we say it is, is, seems to be a function as to whether people say it. So why is it the product of a special blessing to say it? Even those without the blessing also say it, or have it said about them. So to get to the heart of what Rashi is saying, we, we go back to one of the earliest of the commentators on Rashi, and this is a sefer called Sefer Zikaron, written by Rabbi Avram Bukharat, I believe from the 1400s. So this is really one of the earliest of the, of the uh, Mefarshe Rashi. And, he, and the first thing he does is explain as follows. If you wish to know why other people have okay them, but it's a special thing to be called Elokei Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Is because you need to distinguish between something that you are simply saying, which, which hopefully is true, or something you are saying as a praise of Hashem. As a truth, Hashem is the God of Eliyahu. He is the God of David. He's also the God of of all of us, and of each and every one of us. So as something that is correct, one can say it. We say, Elokai. In the beginning, Elokai Nitzor Lishani Meira. You are appealing to Hashem as, you, as your God. But what's unique about the Ovos is that this is said as part of a praise of Hashem. And with all due respect says the Sefer Zikaron, it's not a great praise for Hashem to say that he's, that he's my God. It's true. It's extremely crucial for me 
and it, and it guides everything, but it's not a praise for God to, 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 to say that he's my God, but to say somehow, to say that he's the God of Avram, Isaac, and Yaakov, that's appropriate. And that's fitting for the opening blessing of praise. And the question is, why? Because of the, at, the, at the root, says the Sefer Zikaron, to say that Hashem is the God of an individual is not a great praise, but to say that he's the God of a nation or the God of the world. I mean, now we're talking. That's a praise. To say he's the God of an individual is a fact, but to say he's the God of a, of a nation, that's a praise, especially the Jewish nation, which means if you, if you then probe this just a little further, what are we saying? We're saying that Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, even though physically or biologically, they were only individuals. Nevertheless, they attained the status of the entire Jewish people, each of them. And that's really what lies behind the idea of saying, you say, Eloke Avraham, that's a praise. It's a praise of Hashem as surely as if you called him the God of the Jewish people, because Avram is the Jewish people. In his time, he is the Jewish people. And in Yitzhak's time, he is. And in Yaakov's time, he is. And with this in mind, we go back. We go back to, to the words of the Pasuk. Because how does, what is the first blessing in Pasuk base? The I will make you into a great nation. Now, of course, on a pshat level, we understand that means that I will give you many descendants who will in time become a great nation. But this, this second way of looking at it, Hashem is saying to Avram, you will be a great nation. You contain the entire Jewish people in you, and therefore you have the status of a goy gadol, of a great nation. And so, and that, thus we say, Eloke Avraham, as praise. I will bless you, and to bless is always to increase. In other words, not only will you have this status, but it will then devolve on your son Yitzchak. Your name will be great, even that your grandson Yaakov will also have the status of the Jewish people. And thus, as the Sefer Zikaron, one need not be perturbed by the fact that we find Eloke David and Eloke Eliyahu in, in, in for the reasons that we said, because that was said as a statement of fact. This is said as a statement of praise. That's only true for the Jewish people. Only Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov had that status. And this is really a fascinating idea, the notion that in their time, each of the Avos carries with them and therefore is considered to be the Jewish people at that time. Um, and I recall Rav Cooperman <coughs> mentioned to me that this could give us deeper insight into an idea that we, we, we see begin with Avram that continues through the Avos. Mase Avos Simon Laboni. What happens to the Avos is a sign, we say, for, for their descendants. And, and as we've explained many times, it's more than a sign because a sign is merely information. This is not information, it's formation in the sense that these are enabling experiences. The experiences of the others on, on their individual level enabled and facilitated and allowed for 
the experiences of their descendants on a national level. It, it allowed it to happen. Once we understand that each of the Ovos in their time is the Jewish people, so in a sense we can, we can now take this to, to a further level, because we're not merely saying whatever the Jewish people will subsequently experience has already been experienced by one of their patriarchs. Rather, we will say that whatever the Jewish people will subsequently experience has already been experienced by them. The Jewish people in an earlier generation have already experienced this. That's what facilitates it. They've already done it. How have they done it? In the form of Avram, who is the Jewish people. So too with Yitzhak, so too with Yaakov. And in fact, this will lead us uh, straight into a, a later comment of Rashi, as explained <coughs> by the Meshachachmah, and that is in the beginning of Perik Tesvav. If we move a bit forward in the Parsha, and we are now in the Brisbane Abbasarin, the covenant between the pieces, and that's where Avram is told about the future, about his descendants, the, the exile in a land that's not theirs, returning to, to the land of Israel. So Perik Tesvav, and, and we are looking at Pasuk Hay. Perik Tesvav, Pasuk Hay. Vayotzeo Sevachutza. Hashem took him outside, and he told him, Habet na'ashamayma, look at the stars, look upwards, count the stars, in Tuchal, Lisborosam, if you can, so will your descendants be. So this is when Avram is told that he will have innumerable descendants. And how does it begin? Hashem took him outside. And of course, the, the question is, outside of where? And once again, Rashi begins with Pshat, because Rashi says, <coughs> and he's, uh, he tags it as such, Lefipshuto, on a simple level, Hotsio me ahalo, he took him from outside his tent. If you're in a tent, you can't count the stars. So he took him outside, Leosakochovim. But interestingly, Rashi, again, is not entirely happy with that Perush as the only thing to say. Perhaps because, well, it, maybe it's redundant to say, if, if he needs to be. If he needs to be outside, so then just tell him to count the stars and he'll go outside by himself. And moreover, perhaps one can count the stars from inside. Stand by the doorway and have a look around. So either way, Rashi says more. And the second parish of Rashi is Ulefi Midrasho. On a level of Medrash Amarlo, he said, Semi Itstagninus Shalcha. You are hereby being removed from your astrological limitations, from your astrological designation. Why? Because you saw in the constellations, and Avram we know was, was adept and expert in these things, that you will not have a child. But I'm telling you, Avram ain't lo ben, aval Avram yesh lo ben. Maybe Avram doesn't have a child, can't have a child, but Avraham can, and this is a prelude to him being called, named Avram. So says the Medrash. So I think if it was ever true to say about a, a, a comment of Rashi that it is out of this world, it is here in Midrasha. There is a parallel discussion 
in the Gemara, in Maseches Nadarim. Also about this, how Mazel doesn't affect Avram. Mazel says that Avram won't have a child. But Hashem says he will, and that overrides Mazel. And when the Gemara talks about it in Maseches Nadarim, Daf Lamed Beis, it adduces the well-known comment of the Gemara, Ein Mazel Yisrael. Ein Mazel Yisrael. <coughs> Yisrael is not affected by Mazel. Yisrael is beyond Mazel. And Mazolus means many things, meaning Mazolus are references to the constellations, somehow through which the, for, the forces are are brought from on high down to the lower realms. Mazal also comes from the word nozel. Nozel means to flow. The flow of events, the flow of energy, the natural flow of things. Yisrael is not subject to that. So says the Gemara concerning Avra. But Meshachachma comes in, and he doesn't really quote many other com- uh, statements of Hazal elsewhere, but if we're aware of them, we will fully understand, at least partially, <laughs> why he says what he says. Namely, there are other places in the Gemara where we do hear a lot about mazel and how it can affect people. The Gemara in the end of Maseches Shabbos and Dafkuf Nun Vav, and it talks about a person, if he's born under this mazel, or when this mazel is dominant, he'll be like this, and he'll be like this, and, 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 we're, and we're talking about Jewish people. Sounds like and moreover, the Gemara in Maseches Moedkotan and Daf Kafches has one line which seems to leave almost nothing outside of Mazel. The Gemara says, Bone chaye umezone, children, life, presumably health, and Parnassa, livelihood, Lav bischusa talia milsa. They're not dependent on zuchus. Ela b'mazola talia milsa. They're dependent on mazol. Now, obviously, that, that needs to be uh, somehow uh, understood. It can't be across the board, as if to say what a, nothing that a person does will make any difference to, to his parnasa. But one thing's for sure. It sounds like mazol is a factor. No question about it. So what's the resolution? Here we are, we say, Ein mazal Yisrael. Mazal does not affect Israel. But the Gemara itself states very clearly that it does have an effect. So, so what's the way forward? It says Meshachacha very simply. Ein mazal Yisrael, the notion that Yisrael is ultimately above mazal, is said about the Jewish people, not about individual Jews. That's a big statement. And he doesn't quote a source, but it happens to be the Maharal likewise makes this distinction. The, the national destiny of the Jewish people is vouchsafed above the effect of Mazel. Yes, but each individual person absolutely can be affected by Mazel. That's the distinction to be made. Now, of course, we appreciate that if the Jewish people as a whole as a nation, are above Mazel, and the Jewish people are made up of individual Jewish people, then presumably, on some level, those individuals will partake of the, of the above Mazel nature of the Jewish people. And one perhaps might say a, a little further, and I think it's very apropos, 
And that is, if it's the Jewish nation as a whole that's above muzzle, not necessarily individuals, but individuals, of course, must be formatted because the nation is made up of them. So who are those individuals? Or to what degree will a person be given this immunity or elevation above muzzle? It could be that it's the extent to which he attaches himself and makes himself a part of the, of the, of the Jewish people. Because it is the entity called the Jewish people that's above Masol. So to, to what degree can each individual partake of that, the extent to which he, he invests and connects himself with the Jewish people? Which I think is, is, uh, is very misdabber. This is Meshachachma's distinction, and again, preceded by the Maharal. And therefore... Among many other things, what we learn from here is next time you have a simcha and someone comes to wish you mazel tov, do not respond by saying, Ein mazel li Yisrael. Because as an individual, he, you should accept his blessing, whatever mazel tov means. The only question that remains is having distinguished between the nation concerning which we say, Ein mazel li Yisrael, and an individual where we would say that is affected by mazel, but go back to the original case of Ein Mazali Yisrael. It was originally said about Avram. Hashem raised him above his mazal. But Avram is one person. And therefore, as per our distinction, how can one adduce the concept of Ein Mazali Yisrael? However, says Meshachachma, when one has many that are dependent upon him, he is considered to be like the many. And, and in terms of the Sefer Zikarud, we may add, not only does he have many dependent on him, he is considered to have the status of that entire nation, and therefore he is in an unusual situation. Avram, Isaac, and Yaakov would, would all be their one individual, but because they have the status of the entire nation, we would say about them, Amaz of Israel, as indeed the Gemara does. So having discussed uh, the opening blessings for Avram with their attendant uh, ramifications and emanations, I'd like to now move to a parsha later on, which is the section dealing with Hagar. Hagar and Sarai, which is Perik Tet Zion. And as we will see, <clears throat> there is quite a bit to say. How does it begin? It begins with the difficult situation. Sarai does not have children. Uh, and she recommends to Avram that perhaps Hagar will, uh, that he take Hagar as, as a wife. And then that could, either Hagar's children will be like Sarah's children, or maybe if Hagar has children, Sarah will start to have children, which can also sometimes happen. And, and, that, and, 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 and so it is. And Pasuk Dalet Vayavoel Hagar Vatahar. So then Avram marries Hagar. She, she conceives very quickly, relatively quickly. And she sees that she's conceived. And she starts to treat her, her uh, mistress, Sarai, lightly in a denigrating way. And Sarai is very upset about this. And moreover, Sarah complains to Avram, and Sarah begins to, to uh, give Hagar a hard time. So much so that, that Hagar actually runs away. And on this, it's important to mention, it's a separate discussion, but, but should be referenced, there is a famous comment of Ramban, who actually is, is uh, critical 
of Sauron for, um, for dealing with Hagar in this way. However, many defend Sauron. Amongst them the Abarbanel. Abarbanel is not hearing any criticism of Sauron. In other words, there is more than a personal issue here. Perhaps one could say personal would be enough, but there's more than a personal issue here. Because the notion of Hagar denigrating Sarai is not just an issue of in insulting her. She is undermining Sarai's entire work and her entire life's mission. Because Sarai is about calling people to, to around Hashem's cause. Avra Megaris Hanoshim, Sarai Megaris Es Hanoshim. She's a role model. She's a leader. She's a guide for many. And what is Hagar saying? Hagar is saying, well, I know Sarai makes herself out to be very holy, but let the facts fact speak for themselves. Because she has not been blessed with a child. Here I am, yours truly, who has just been married to Avram for a short amount of time, already conceived. Maybe the Sarai is not as righteous as she portrays herself to be. And that is, is, is an undermining of everything that Sarah is working towards. It's also a factor in the equation. We should know further that because <coughs> uh, Avram is, is less active here in this regard than Sarai. Sarai is generally more strict than Avram is. If Avram is characterized by chesed, we see that the harsher uh, decisions actually come from Sarai. When, when, when Hagar needs to be treated the way she does, when Yishmael needs to be sent away, which will be, it's Sarai that instigates these. And the Chassam Sofer explains that really, as much as Avram is, is the midah of chesed and kindness and, and uh, acceptance, etc., Sarai is midas hadin. She's the attribute of justice. And moreover, that's needed in order to, to balance out Avram's Midas HaChesed. Because if they were both Chesed personalities, it could be that no one, there were certain decisions that someone had to make and no one would make them because they're not Chesed decisions, they're Din decisions. So, so she needs to be different from Avram in order to be sure that, that the balance is found. And this is the concept called Ezer Kenegdo. Ezer Kenegdo means she helps him by being Kenegdo, sometimes by taking up the contrary position in order to be sure that the full range has been accounted for. So Avram is Chesed, Sarah is Din, so she deals harshly with Hagar. Interestingly, in the next generation, it's reversed because we know that Yitzchak represents Midas Hadin, Pachad Yitzchak, etc., and Rivka is outstanding in the attribute of kindness. That, that was her test was only in the area of kindness, once again, in order to balance out the din of Yitzhak. Because everyone, every, you, you need a balance. If, sometimes if both are exactly in the same way, so then something will go off kilter a little bit. I'm reminded, just uh, my father, Zatzal, told me that, uh, and I think it's very uh, illuminating uh, regardless Rav Herzog, Zatzar, Rav Isaac Herzog, who was first the chief rabbi of Ireland and then uh, later on of Palestine, which became, uh, which became uh, Israel. So, um, at a certain point, 
his wife, the Rebetzin, Sarah, she got in contact with the uh, Rabbanot or whatever was the body that was paying a salary. And she said, do not give my husband's salary to him. And the reason why is because on the way home from receiving his salary, his heart just melted. For all all those that were in need, he just gave everything away. He came home without any money. And I think that that's also very illuminating with regards to Rav Herzog. There was no greater intellect than Rav Herzog. But to see a Jew in need, so the intellect was just put to the side and he gave him whatever he could. Says the Rebetzin, we can't live that way. Do not give him any money. That's Ezer Kenegdo. Someone needs to receive the salary and hold on to it for the household's needs. So Halga runs away. And the Pasuk says, where are we? In uh, Zion. Vayim malach Hashem al And a malach finds her. It's a very interesting expression. A malach finds her. It almost, one gets the impression that the malach was you know, wandering around and then he kind of came across Hagar. What does it mean for a malach to find someone? How, how does he lose them? That he finds them. One could say a malach appears to him appears to them. But what is the meaning of Vayimtza'ah, a malach found her? Well, the Malbim explains that to see a malach, to see an angel, is a prophetic experience. And a prophetic experience, even if one is on the level that one, one can do so, and seemingly Hagar was, which gives us further insight into the stature of the people that we're talking about. I mean, a malach doesn't appear to, to most people, but he appears to Hagar. But even if she's on the status, has a, is of status that can allow her to uh, have such a, a vision, but conditions need to be right. One needs to have peace of mind. One needs to be in a meditative state. One needs to be settled. One cannot be agitated. And what that means is that as long as she's running away, so she's, she's in the desert and she's anxious and she's lost and she's this the way and that way. So the mala can't find her. He can't get through to her because she's not in a state of mind or a state of being that is receptive or conducive to a prophetic experience. What does Pasuk Zion say? She reached a stream. She found some water. She sat down. She had something to drink. She rested a little bit. And finally the Malach was able to, to, to communicate, communicate with her. And that's called Vayim Tsa'ah Malach Hashem. Very interesting. And what does he say to her? Vayomar Pasukhes Hagar Shifra Sara Hagar, the handmaiden of Sari, Amy Zebas Va'ana Telechi. Where are you coming from? Where are you going? All these introductory questions are very interesting because if he's a malach uh, worthy of the name, he knows exactly where she's coming from and he knows exactly where she's going, which of course he does. So what's the meaning of this opening question? And one could say, and this uh, is uh, to, 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 to begin, a, to initiate a conversation as if to say, not to start with the message straight away, but rather, and perhaps again, if, it, if, if, if Hagar needs to be in some way uh, settled, so this to begin, where are you coming from, where are you going? And she answers, I'm, uh, I'm running away from Sarah. But the Sforno, 
has a different understanding of this question, of this double, two-pronged question. Where are you coming from and where are you going? It is not informational in nature. He is not inquiring where she's coming from and inquiring where she's going. He is, it is an emphatic statement, as if to say, and this is really his introduction to what the, what the angel will ultimately tell her to go back, because what is he saying to her? Hagar, where are you coming from? In other words, think where you're coming from. Think what you're turning your back on. Think what you're saying goodbye to. Where are you going? What are you headed towards? How can you compare it? Life is difficult for you. That may well be, but maybe it's worth it because look what you'll be giving up on. Look what you'll be forfeiting. You're, you're, you're going away from, from the house of Avram Avinu. To where? To, 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 to some other place? So it really, it's an, it's an emphatic question which, which just to, for, for Haga to, to stop and consider what she's doing. And Haga says it's difficult, but, he, but, the, but the angel says it's worth it. Go back. And then he tells her that she will have a child. Posuk Yud Aleph. Vayomer la Malach Hashem. Hinachar up, You will conceive. You will have a child. Vikaras Shemo Yishmael. And you'll call him Yishmael. Kishama Hashem El Onyech. Hashem has heard your, your difficulties. That's Posuk Yud Aleph. That seemingly is a comfort. For Hagar, you will have a child. But the next pasuk says, Adam, he'll be a wild person. Bakal, he'll mix in with everyone. Yad Kalbo, everyone will mix in with him. He'll be starting up with everyone. They'll be starting up with him. That seems somewhat less reassuring than the first one. The first one says you'll have a child. Maybe just stop there. But he starts to describe him, and the description is terrible. He'll be wild and he'll always be contend, contending with people. I mean, is Hagar meant to feel better after Pasuk Yud Beis? Why is he telling her this? So the Ber Yosef says, Ber Yosef Salant, also, this is also words of exhortation or words of Musar for, for Hagar. Why? Why is she so... Uh, acting in such a, 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 a lordly way over Sarah because she's expecting a child. Sarah doesn't have a child. So the, so the Malach says, you will have a child, but not every child is worth getting so excited about. He is not worth you acting in such a, uh, in such a high-handed manner towards Sarah because I'll tell you a few things about him and then, and then see whether you still act in the same way. And this is the beginning of Yishmael. What's interesting is, before, before we get to, uh, to the naming of Yishmael, just a very interesting point, and we'll see how, how it's, it's a complementary part of the discussion. And she called the name of Hashem, that is to say Hashem's representative who spoke to her, You are the God of whom I have seen, of my vision. Even here have I seen after I have seen. Very cryptic words. Even here have I seen after I have seen. What does that mean? And as a result of this, the well was renamed 
the, the well of the, the living one who sees. Hine ben Kodesh uben Bared. It's between Kadesh and Bered. What is the meaning of these verses? I've seen, after I've seen, even here, she renames the well, and, we, and it's between Kadesh and Bered. I mean, we, we, what is this information doing for us? Says Reb Chaim Soloveitchik, with ever an eye on the, on, shall we say, the halachic machinery, or in this case, not so much halachic machinery, but the, but the metaphysical machinery, Sarah, uh, Hagar, pardon me, has just received a prophetic experience. We know that nevuah, prophecy, prophetic visions do not exist as a rule outside of the land of Israel. Ein nevuah, b'chutz la'aretz. So says the Gemara and Maseches, Moedkotan, Daf Kafhe. This is famously the reason, or one of the reasons given for Yonah running away. Because the Pasuk doesn't say that he tried to run away from Hashem. He tried to run away Mipnei Hashem. It says, Barach Milifnei Hashem, from being before Hashem. He didn't want to be before Hashem because if he's before Hashem, he'll get Nevuah. He doesn't want to hear it. So he, gets, he puts himself in a boat and tries to tuck himself in and Hashem ends up sending him messages of, of, of other natures uh, in, order to, in order to bring him back. But that's the notion of running away to get outside of the land of Israel. Having said that, the Gemara also says, this is also in Motkot and Daf Kafhe, that if a person has already received Nevuah in the land of Israel, he can continue to receive Nevuah even in Chutz La'aretz. This is based on the Psukim in Yechezkel. Yechezkel received Nevuah, he's in Babylon, the Navi Yechezkel. But how does the Sefer Yechezkel begin? Hayo Haya Devar Hashem. Hashem's word was to Yechezkel. Hayo Haya. It's a double expression. It was, it was. Meaning, because it originally was said to Yechezkel while he was still in Israel, it could then continue to be said to him, uh, communicate with him, even when he's in Chutz La'aretz. Which then raises the question of Yonah. Why would Yonah think that running away would help? He's already received Nevuah in Eretz Yisrael. It's too late. It's been initiated. It will follow him in Chutz La'aretz. That's a question I have not yet seen a resolution to, and no doubt uh, uh, our answers are there. But in any case, so this is the situation. One, Nevuah does not exist outside of Israel unless a person has already received Nevuah. The borders and boundaries of the land of Israel are actually the subject of a discussion in the beginning of Maseches Gittin. For various reasons, if a get is brought from what's called Medina Sayam, from overseas, one needs to define the boundary of the land of Israel and Chutz La'aretz. And two examples of places in Chutz La'aretz in the Mishnah there in Gitin are Rechem and Cheger. Okay. What's Rechem and Cheger got to do with us? Because if you look at Unkelus' translation of the end of Pasuk Yudalaj, which tells us that the well was between Kaddish and Bered, Unkelus says, Ha ben Rechem uven Chagra. It's between Rechem and Cheger. Rechem and Cheger are in Chutzla Aretz. This well is in Chutzla Aretz. Hagar has just seen the Malach. And the question is, how can that be? The answer is, and this really is Hagar's renaming the place because this was the first time she'd experienced it. What does she say? Hagam halom, even here, Ra'isi, 
I had a prophetic vision. How could it be? Because I already had a prophetic vision in Avram's house. Because it's having been schooled and had the experience of Navua in Eretz Yisrael. So even here, I also had Navua. And in order to explain what even here means, the Pasuk concludes by giving us the geography. The well is Ben Kaddish and Bered. And if you know your geography, that's Rekem and Heger, that's Chutz Aretz, and now you understand what Hagar said. So we see all aspects of the situation are being described in the Pasuk. What's very interesting is to raise the question, who named Yishmael? Who gave Yishmael his name? The reason I mention this is because The, the angel says to Hagar in Pasuk Yud Aleph, Vayomela Malach Hashem, Hinacharav, Yoladet Bain, okay, as with the Pasuk that we read before, you will conceive, you have a child, Vikaras Shemo Yishmael. And you will call his name Yishmael. It sounds like that's a name for Hagar to give. However, when it actually comes to it, and Yishmael is born, Pasuk says, um, in Pasuk Tesvav, Vateled Hagar la Avram Bain, and Hagar had a child, a son for Avram, Vayikra Avram Shem Beno Ashialda Hagar Yishmael. Vayikra, Avram called him Yishmael. What's the, what's the implications of who calls him Yishmael? The Malach told, said that she should call him Yishmael, but she didn't. In the end, Avram called him Yishmael. So this is discussed in the Sefer Shari Aaron. It's a Sefer that, that is generally. Uh, well known because it is a digest of, of many, many Mephorshim. It really is an incredible work, multi-volume, which means that it's only once in a while that he actually, in his modesty, only rarely presents his own thoughts. But here he does. And his name is of Aaron Rotter, uh, still alive, I believe. Uh, it's got to be in his 90s. And he says that the idea of Hagar called naming the child, after all, she, she's the maidservant. We never really find that the maidservant gives the name. In other words, when Rachel and Leah's maidservants have children, it's Rachel and Leah who gives the name. And really what they're doing is, is, is assuming motherhood on, on, on the broader family, also the children of their maidservants. Or alternatively, it's the husband who gives the name. So what is happening here? Effectively, the angel is saying, you are now disenfranchised from Avram's household. Sarai will not be naming your child because your child will not be considered her child. There's too much of a bridge between her and you. And you are not enough of a, a, a peer, shall we say, for Avram that Avram would name the child either. You're not his wife in the way that Sarah is. So you name the child. He's yours, but he's not Sarah's and he's not Avram's. And, and that is something that Hagar did not accept because obviously she doesn't like to see herself as being uh, relegated and, and, and distanced or, dis- or disconnected. So what did she do? She, she did not name him Yishmael. She may have told Avram that that, that that would be the name, but she waited for Avram to call him Yishmael. Why? Because through that she was seeking, yes, to be connected, to Avram through Yishmael. If he gives the name, then, then, then perhaps she can be brought back in. So these are very interesting 
occurrence. You see what, what the difference that it makes. Who's the one that gives the name? Who is assuming, in a sense, establishing a connection? And that's why um, when, when Avram gives the name, Pasuk Tesvava, Tailed Hagar la Avram Bain. She, she bears the son for Avram, Vayikra Avram Shem Beno, Asheel da Hagar Yishmael. The Pasuk repeats that Yishmael was his son, because in a sense, that's really what's happening. By, by, he's becoming more his son, so to speak, by Avram giving the name. And I think there's room to, to, to elaborate upon this idea, because in the end of our Parsha, Perik Yudzai, in the final chapter, and there's so much in Parsha's Lech Lecha, we really, we've left out more than we've covered, but in the end of uh, the Parsha, so you have the section of Mila. And what's, what's very significant about the mitzvah of Mila for Avram is, is that it's not just, quote-unquote, uh, you know, the mitzvah of the 613 mitzvahs, the one that was given to Avram, and it's not just, quote-unquote, a, a mitzvah that has a covenant. It could be that there's even more to it than that for Avram. It begins with a very interesting question that it's easy to embrace and never ask, but it has attracted the attention of many Mepharshim, Rishonim and Achronim. Namely, and it might sound a bit uh, striking to hear it, were the Avos Jewish? Who was the first Jew? By which we mean, we, are for, we know that there is a concept called Kedushas Yisrael. One can convert and assume Kedushas Yisrael. Did the others do that? They were without a doubt the forebears of the Jewish people, but, but did, did they themselves become Jewish? Or perhaps no? And this is a major discussion. All of Chumash Bereshis has now relearned with, with uh, people on the lookout for... Uh, indications one way or the other, the statements of Chazal in all different directions, there are, there are discussions of Rishonim. The one who's famous for really uh, discussing this at length is Rabbi Huda Rosanz, who was the, I believe in the 1600s, he was the, the author of the Mishnah Lamelech on the Rambam. He has a series of drushes called Parshas Drachim. And drush number one, Parshas Drachim, in my edition, is 40 pages long. He, he, he goes through this question, were the Avos Jewish? Well, some people say they were, but if they were, and if Avram are first amongst them, if Avram is Jewish, when did he become Jewish? He wasn't born Jewish. Terach isn't Jewish. Neither is Avram's mother. So he wasn't born Jewish. He must have become Jewish. When did that happen? Says Ramban and the Marsha in Maseches, uh, Yivomus and Davkuf, when he performed the mitzvah of Mila, that's when he became Jewish. It was an absolute transformational moment. The first person ever to receive and assume Kedushas Yisrael is, is Avram Avinu at the time of the Mila. That's the full implications of what's happening here. And this might give us uh, a, a further insight into something that happens in next week's Parsha. When Yishmael starts acting up after Yitzhak is born and, and Sarah says, as you mentioned before, he has to go. The Pasuk says, Avram is upset. He was upset. He was upset to, 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 to send his son away. And Hashem says, do what Sarah says. Listen to what she says. Why? Because only Yitzchak is really considered to be your descendant. Yishmal is not really considered to be your descendant. Now, it is true that the very next Pasuk, literally in the next Pasuk, Hashem says, 
I will take care of Yishmael, Kizarachahu, because he's your descendant. Which means that there is recognition to the fact that Yishmael is Avram's biological descendant, but he is not his ideological descendant at all. He is absolutely uh, cut away. The question is how? I mean, if he's Avram's son, why is he not part of Avram's legacy? Why is he not equally in the same way that Yitzhak is? And one could say very simply that, well, because he was born from Hagar. So unlike, unlike Avram, who was born from Sarah, if we assume that Avram and Sarah both became Jewish, so then, okay, so their child, Yitzhak, will be born Jewish. But Hagar was, was not, and therefore maybe that's why he's, he's not really part of the continuation. Or maybe his actions excluded him at that stage from, from Kedushas Yisrael. Or maybe something else in light of our discussion. Namely, when a person converts, they, they, they lose their family ties to anyone they were related to before. In the words of the Gemara, Gershon Olad, pardon me, Gershon Iskair, if one, one converts, Kekotan Shenolad, they're like, a, they're like a newborn. And maybe this is why Yishmael is not fully considered to be Avram's descendant because after having born, begat Yishmael, Avram converted and they're not related anymore. But there's a little more to it than that, I think. And it's as follows. When is, Avram, when is Avram appraised of this idea that Yishmael is not his descendant? When Yishmael starts misbehaving uh, when Yitzhak is born. That's, that's like... That's a long time after Avram converted. That's a year after Avram converted. So why is this only true now? What's interesting is as follows. Avram was not the only one who did Mila. His whole household did, including Yishmael. So... So as surely as Avram took the opportunity to convert and assume Kedushas Yisrael, it is possible that Yishmael was able to do the same thing. So now the question is, is Avram Yishmael's father? Biologically, he is. Ideologically, Avram is considered the father of all Geirim. Av Hamon Goyim, anyone who converts can, re- can relate to Avram as his father. We say, Avram is like Yaakov, even a Ger. We'll say, Eloke Avraham, Elokeinu, Eloke Avaseinu, Avram is like Yaakov. When he says in Bikurim, Avaseinu, he's talking about Avram is like Yaakov. It's okay. In other words, I think what's very fascinating about the Mila of Yishmael at the end of the Parsha is that it was an opportunity to reconnect with Avram and be considered his son in every sense of the word. Because once again, biologically, he is descended from him. And, and, and ideologically, by converting, he also claims descent from Avram, who is the father of all Gerim. So Avram is his father in every respect. It is the only time that that will happen. Because Avram is the father of other Gerim, but not biologically. And if, if Avram's children don't, Convert, he's their biological father, but not halachically or not ideologically. But in Yishmael, they could have converged. And that was Avram's actual hope for Yishmael. But when did it all fall apart? When Yishmael starts to, to act the way he does when Yitzhak is born, Sarah says he has to go, and Avram is upset. Why is Avram upset? Because Avram is saying, But he's my son. Al Odos Beno, and Hashem says, No, he isn't. Listen to Sarah, he isn't. And moreover, 
as we know, when it says, whatever Sarah says, Shema Kolar, Rashi says, listen to her Ruach HaKodesh. Why does she need Ruach HaKodesh to know that Ishmael is being a bad influence? You just need eyes in your head. He's being a bad influence. But the point is, yeah, you need Ruach HaKodesh in order to determine that his behavior indicates that he would never assume Kedush Yisrael when he did Mila, even a year back. That, that is a significant piece of news for Avram. And this is the, this is the time when it becomes clear that Ishmael is, 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 is cut away. And what do we say about Ishmael? And with this we'll conclude, coming back to the Malach in Pasuk Tezayin, as we said, Yado Bakol, Biyad Kolbo. His hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. Which one is it? Both together? Are they a contradiction? <clears throat> There's many perushim, but the Ibn Ezra says, these are two stages. Stage one, Yado Bakol. He's against everyone. Seemingly with some level of success. Stage two, Yad Kolbo. Everyone, every, everyone then uh, pushes back against him, and, and that will be the end of him. As is known, says the Ibn Ezra, that, that Yishmael is the Chayo Haravius, the fourth beast. And what does this mean? <coughs> We're familiar with the four beasts in the vision of, of Daniel, representing the four exiles. And our understanding of the common notion, the widespread notion, more correctly, of the four exiles is that they are Bab- Babel, Babylon, the 70 years, Persia, which is the story of Esther, Yavan, Greece, which is Hanukkah, and then Rome, which continues until our time. The Ibn Ezra himself actually sees Greece and Rome as one, because the one is really an emanation of the other. And they're, number, they're both number three. And what's number four? Yishmael. That's what he means when he says that Yishmael is the Chaya Haravius. He's, he's the fourth beast. He's the fourth exile, for the fourth exile. And, and, and as, as improbable as, as it might have sounded, the, the notion is that he emerges as this very powerful force, and Yodah Bakol, with some measure of success. But that's the first stage. Second stage is, is, is Yad Kolbo, is that, is that everyone then uh, rebounds back towards him and, and, and finishes him. And Yishmael is referred to, I don't think one needs a more poignant description of Yishmael than Pere Adam. Pere Adam means he's, he's a, a, a savage person. He's a wild person. And um, that, that is something that, uh, uh, of course, we've seen in the, these very, very difficult uh, days and weeks. And uh, all of this is told to Hagar from the very beginning. And for us, therefore, we need to hold fast to doing all the things that we know we should be doing and uh, pray that the for swift transition from the first part of the phrase to the second, from Yadobakol to Yadkolbo, which will be a decisive end to uh, Yishmael, and the, the pathological uh, essence that represents him, and that's something that we should see and hear of. Bimheirab Yamin. Amen.